Scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect." Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. I've been praying about this lesson, and I appreciate the prayers this morning, Brother Zabo, and being ready for this lesson. Last two weeks, we've been looking at loving your neighbor, and this week, we looked at the subject of loving your enemy. As I was growing up, there was a time when I wasn't as big as I am right now, and some people would bully me. It took me a while to adjust to that, to figure out how to react to it. I remember in high school, I used to get upset when I would see the same bully running around pestering the same kid. And I would see that kid being bullied, bullying somebody else, and I would see um, another bully bullying the bully from before. And there, oh, it just seemed to be unending of people taking advantage of one another, being cruel to one another. And then we have this destruction from Christ telling us to love our enemy. God tells us that. Christ tells us that. Love your enemy. What does that mean? How do I do that? We want to take a look at the Scriptures this morning and look at the details, what the Bible says. What we have seen over the last few weeks is that Jesus has ministered to the outcast, to the fringes of society, to those that were not accepted, to the tax collectors and uh, those who were trying to repent in their lives, sinners, prostitutes. Christ was welcoming to them. If they're going to repent and hear the truth, he welcomed them. He ate with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled. And we saw an example of that in Luke chapter 15. In fact, you see it throughout Luke. Luke 15 and verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the accusation against Jesus about how much he loved. He loved his neighbor and he loved his neighbor as himself. And that command from the, from the Old Testament. But Jesus gives further instructions on the Sermon on the Mount. He takes the law another step. And in doing that, he says, you need to love your enemies. Within this context of the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, Jesus told a parable. He told about the shepherd who had lost the sheep, and he went out to get that one. Even though he had the 99, he went out for the one. He said something similar before when we were looking in Luke 5, and when we had looked in Luke chapter 19, where he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19. And Luke 5, he said that uh, the sick need a physician, those who are well do not. And here again, he makes this point as a shepherd. Now notice what Jesus is doing here. He's not running off in the hills, looking for one individual walking down a lonely road. He's going into the streets. He's going and he's preaching there with his disciples. He's going into the synagogues in a circuit going around and proclaiming the truth. That was him as a shepherd seeking the lost sheep. And when someone came, whether they were outcasts or fringe of society, he accepted them. I think it's strange today that as we have this command to accept those into the church, that we as a body are often on the fringes. We are often the margins of society. 
We look at the world today and the state our country's going, the secularism that has risen up to where nobody wants to mention God in our schools or mention him in any public place. You keep that to yourself. You'll offend somebody. You'll cause them to be stirred in their emotions. And so we've been kind of marginalized fringes. We should be able to relate to those around us who feel like outcasts. We should be able to understand those who feel like they've been bullied and abused, be able to reach out to them and to help them. But I think even harder is to love the bully, love the enemy, love the one who is persecuting you. You know, we see that in Jesus Christ. Jesus confronted the chief priests and the elders about these things that they were doing. He had some very confrontational words for them right here. In Matthew 21, he says, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes, go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they didn't accept Christ. They didn't believe the truth. However, no matter who you are, no matter who in this congregation, you can never say, I've been too sinful that I cannot come to Christ, that I cannot listen to him, that I can't give my life to him. Here we have examples of that. These tax collectors, these in the fringe of society, the prostitutes who had lived in sin, they are coming into the kingdom before the scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees are not looking for the Christ. They're not considering the words that Jesus has spoken. And so this morning, the good news goes to everybody. We love our neighbors. We love those who are on the fringes and marginalized in society. And we love our enemies as well. He says, For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. And you look at the context of this. They had come and they were questioning Jesus' authority. Jesus had cleansed the temple. And they were saying, what authority do you have for doing this? And Jesus says, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. The baptism of John, where did it come from, man or from heaven? They didn't want to answer that. They didn't want to say that it came from heaven because then the question is, why haven't you been baptized? In fact, from the very beginning, Luke 7, verse 30, the Pharisees rejected baptism. And the scripture says they rejected the purpose of God in doing that. And then, of course, they're not going to say that it's of man because they would offend all the people and possibly be stoned and outcast themselves. So Jesus tells them a little bit further, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they're willing to hear God's word, to believe it and obey it. No matter your identity and your past history in your life, all repentant believers can enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, the Bible tells us we can do that through baptism, coming into the church, joining to Christ. When I think about those who love their enemies, I have to look at Jesus Christ. Jesus' enemies were those who made accusations against him. That's what the definition is. But when we start looking at some of these scriptures, it's very clear. Who is my enemy? What's the definition of an enemy? It's those who will make accusations against you, who will speak against you, who will slander you, people who wait for you to mess up so they can put it in your face. Or, or to pull you down, or do something to you in that effect. And I see what Jesus endured in his time, but I also see it today. Sometimes I read, um, there's a church out there that very much resembles our name, so they put the word united in front of theirs. And they are very, very out there. In fact, they question the Bible and its inspiration altogether. And they will criticize Jesus. And if you don't believe me, you could go and look it up online and one of their accounts, they said, listen, Jesus had sins. He was a sinner. That is absolutely false. 
blasphemy. And they'll go to passages like John 7. And in John 7, Jesus says to his brothers, I'm not going up to the Feast of the Booths right now. I'm not going to go at all, is what he says. And then later, Jesus does go to the feast, even though he told his brothers he was not. And looking at that context, instead of giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt or thinking maybe he changed his mind or maybe he simply meant he was going to come up halfway during the feast, which is what Jesus did, they make accusations against Christ. Jesus knows what it's like to be persecuted. In the very end of his life, as we studied our Bible class this morning, went through Mark chapter 15, and we looked, in, we looked at the description of Jesus, how they mocked him, how they scourged him, how he was persecuted, how a crown of thorns was placed upon his head, and they put a robe around him, and they beat him. A battalion of 600 Roman soldiers did that. We read the scriptures about how he was crucified at Golgotha. Jesus knew what it was like to be persecuted, to be abused, to be on the fringe, to be marginalized, but yet he loved his enemy. In fact, he endured all that. And you can see that throughout the text, any of the Gospels in the process of Jesus dying, that he loved those, even those who were crucifying him, abusing him. In John 15, Jesus says this. Jesus revealed, Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. And what Jesus is saying here, I did these wonders. There's no reason for them not to believe. Because they hate me, they hate my Father also, because the Father has sent me. And he says, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They're fulfilling Scripture by their own hatred. This morning, if you have your Bible, open with me for our reading from Matthew chapter 5. It's what Chris had read for us. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 5. And make a few observations here from the text. Matthew chapter 5, so this is the Sermon on the Mount. As we looked at last week, Jesus pulled from the passage, love your neighbor as yourself. Only one place that comes from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19 and verse 18. And Jesus, as we'd seen, had said that this is the second greatest command. I want you to read again here, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. That's a command. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how you can know who your enemies are, those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You want to demonstrate to the world that you are a child of God, that you are a son of God? You don't act like the rest of the world. The rest of the world, they love each other. Anybody who loves them, they love them. Love them right back. The Bible says to love those who hate you, who persecute you. And you do that, you act like a child of God because God does the same thing. Our Father in heaven, he sends rain and he gives sun to all people, whether they hate him or love him. And the Bible says we want to act like him, and that's what Christ is encouraging us to do. Look at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The idea there is you need to be complete as God is complete. Those who are your enemy, you love. We're going to talk a bit more about that. Why? Why do I need to do that? Well, I think there's a lot we can learn about that. 
Before we get to why, how do you do it? I look over in Luke chapter 6, and in Jesus' second year of ministry, this is what he says here, often called the Sermon on the Plain. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's how you love your enemy. You do good to those who hate you. You bless those who curse you. Those who curse you have made themselves your enemy, and you bless them. I think I've told you before, I had a friend of mine who went to a concert one time, and in the concert, a woman was smoking and handed him a cigarette. He took that cigarette, threw it down, and stomped it out. And when she had found out he had done that, she cursed him. And he said to her, Jesus loves you. It was his only reply. And she bowed her head and she said, I know. It's just amazing when you look across your life, those who have made themselves your enemy or your bully, only hope for you to be able to reach them is through kindness and by loving them back. I told you last week about my, my sons arguing with one another. And I had explained to him, listen, you can continue to both be mean to one another and nothing's going to get better. You're going to be mean to him and it's going to go back and forth. The only hope you have is to be kind and loving back to your brother. And we see this in the words of Christ. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. We see Christ's love here, his compassion for these enemies. My experience, and I don't know if this is the same as yours, but it seems like the more that my enemies come after me, and the more that I allow it and turn the other cheek, the more they overcompromise. They end up hurting themselves. They end up bringing God's justice upon them faster. And I've seen it, and I've seen it with my own eyes. I think about in Acts chapter 16, you remember when Paul went to Philippi, and they were preaching there, and they had a woman that was falling who was demon-possessed, and he cast out the demon. And uh, they got very mad at him, and, and the people of the city of Philippi beat Paul and Silas and put them into jail. And Paul could have said any time throughout the beating, I am a Roman citizen, but he didn't. He kept it to himself. He endured those things for Christ. And after spending a night being beaten and in prison and singing, the, the earthquake came and they're able to come out of the prison. And the Philippian jailer and his family are saved in the process. But the, you know what also good thing came out of that? Those over the city who were the rulers had to come there and apologize. And from that point on, Paul had free reign to preach the gospel. Nobody could tell him, no, you can't do that because he had endured injustice from them. He could have simply said, you remember when you beat me, you know what is due to you. I can simply appeal to Caesar because I'm a Roman citizen. I think we need to rely and trust in our God when it comes to loving our enemy. Why love your enemy? Number one, Christ commands you to. And if you believe in him and you trust in him, you'll do that. Number two, kindness leads to repentance throughout the Bible. Now, sometimes people think, well, if I'm just going to be mean back to them, maybe I'll knock some sense into them. The Bible teaches us repeatedly it's the kindness of God that compels men to repent. Another thing we want to think about as well, when it comes to taking our own vengeance, it's better for us to rely on God and trust Him. Let God take vengeance. God will do it the right way because God knows whether that person's going to repent 20, 30, 40 years from then and be saved and become a Christian if you act out and they identify you as a Christian, the rest of their life they may be thinking, think this, that was a Christian, I'm never going to be a part of that. 
You might be the person that hinders that from ever happening. So again, God knows who are gonna, those who are going to repent. Let him handle the vengeance when someone does you wrong. Turn it over to God and let him do that. Let him take care of it. But loving your enemies requires faith. In fact, consider what Paul said here in Romans 12 before we finish up this morning. Let God handle your enemies. He knows whether they need mercy or justice. He knows how to handle the problems that you face. This is what Paul says when he's, he's inspired by God's Spirit. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. I'll read that again. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now he's going to explain here a little bit further that God's justice comes to the sword of the government, Romans 13. Or God's justice can come in other ways. We see here, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let God take vengeance. You do good to those who do evil to you. Paul says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that's a quote from Proverbs. And if we do good to those who do evil to us, God will, he knows what is just, he will bring about the justice. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that takes a lot of faith. You know, as I think about these passages, and we've been talking about love for the last three weeks now, we talk about loving your neighbor and how that needs to take place in our home first. The person, your neighbor is the one nearest to you, your spouse, your children. You might live in a home where one of your family members, or maybe they're outside of your home, one of your family members is an enemy. How do you treat them? If someone were to say, well, my spouse has become my enemy, what do you do? If they abuse you, if they speak against you, Scripture says here, do good to them. Of course, those are in physical abuse. I would encourage you, the Bible would encourage you as well to get out of that relationship. But when we see these Scriptures right here, you don't take vengeance on your own. If you have enemies in your own home, do what Christ says and love them. It's the only hope you have for them to repent. Jesus loved his enemy. And in the context of him dying, he died, he rose, and he saved millions of us because we were enemies of Christ before we became Christians, before we came to faith in the following Jesus. Paul said in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Scriptures are clear what we were. We were enemies. When we repented and came to faith, what Christ had done for us while we were sinners, now it came to fruition and fulfillment that we can have salvation. You look at examples throughout the Scriptures, I think about Stephen loving his enemies, preaching the truth, and yet he was stoned to death. But that led to something. I think it made a big impression upon Saul, who as he was standing there, who we know as Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, and was the greatest evangelist in the first century besides Jesus Christ, taking the gospel to all the world because Stephen was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to love his enemy. Paul did the same thing, though. He learned from Stephen. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was eventually even killed by Nero. And he did it all because he loved his enemies and he loved the gospel and upheld it. 
In Matthew chapter 5, when we have Jesus telling us to love our enemies, he has a list of scriptures there in the Sermon on the Mount and a list of points, instructions that came before it. And I think very much give us context to loving our enemy and loving others. And Jesus had commanded, he said, love no, call no one fool. That's what he said. He said, if you do that, you're in danger of hellfire. He says, do not look to lust because then you have adultery in your heart. He says, do not divorce your wife. He says, make no oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then he says this. He says, do not resist him who does evil. I think it's maybe kind of a natural thing today where people want to, you do evil to me, I'll do it right back to you. But that's not what Christ teaches. Love your enemies. This is how the Christian faith surpasses the religion and faith of all others, Pharisees and scribes. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. says that your faith, your obedience needs to be greater than them than the scribes and the Pharisees. And again, as Jesus emphasizes, loving your enemy demonstrates that you are a child of God. Jesus warned his disciples that they would be hated. He notes it over and over again. He said this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Those were the words of Christ before he was crucified the night before. Jesus prayed to the Father that night. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. My point in all this is do not be surprised. Peter says, do not be surprised, 1 Peter 4, when someone persecutes you. Do not be surprised when the world hates you. The apostle John says this, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. As we finish this morning, I give you this final challenge. I want you to find or identify your nearest enemy, someone who's been speaking against you, who wants to abuse you, who would curse you. Identify your greatest human enemy. Think about a few ways that you can show them that you love them that what you had to give to them from love, give that to them. I encourage you to do one of those things this week. Make your goal this week to love your enemy. And then the world can see that you are a child of God. This morning, you haven't been baptized in the Christ. You're not yet a child of God. Galatians 3 says it's through baptism. You become a child of God. The Bible says the power of God and the salvation is the gospel, and that gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I encourage you this morning the Bible says, if you have not obeyed the gospel, then you await God's judgment on the last day. Fiery judgment. And the Bible teaches us very clearly how we obey the gospel. This morning, you need to believe and repent of your sins. You need to die to their sins, be buried in the waters of baptism. And it's from that burial and death that you rise up into the newness of life, clean of all of your sins. This morning, if you haven't been baptized in the Christ, do that. Obey the gospel. If there's anybody here today, you're struggling with life's problems. Have you felt oppressed and pushed down by your enemies? Do not let them gain hold of your life. Love them. Whatever your needs may be, we encourage you to come right now. Please come while we stand and while we sing.